So apologies because I didn't get to uh, do last Wednesday, which means that tonight I need to introduce Philippians and do chapter one and do 11 verses of chapter two. So uh, if, your, if your stomach begins to growl, then um, yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> so this is really one of my favorite books. Um, we did this as a church uh, two years ago during the summer, but just did a, a real flyby of it. Um, it was during a summer uh, Bible study uh, series, and I think uh, Jeff took one, Brian took one, John took one, um, maybe Robert took one. And uh, we just did an overview of Philippians, and uh, I felt okay to uh, to bring it back because every year, um, probably in January, at some point in time, I need to talk to our church about uh, giving, about how uh, stewardship is a part of our discipleship. It's a it's a spiritual discipline that we have, and and those of you who have been around for a long time, you. I uh, have heard the term tithing, which is not really a, a biblical instruction on giving. It was a, a part of a story uh, in the Old Testament uh, that, that has become a standard for us. But I try to say it's not a very good standard. It, it's a good place to start the discussion that, that you would systematically set aside a part of your uh, income. Uh, and the, the the word tithe means tenth, of course, and so it's in in our minds the the idea of tithing is that we set aside ten percent of our income, which of course causes Baptists to go into absolute conniptions over whether that's on the gross or the net, or what about <laughs> bonuses, and and I'm going. Let me put it in perspective. Let's just say it's ten percent, and let's say it doesn't apply to money at all. There's 168 hours in the week. You owe God 17 of them. <laughs> and that helps us to understand that we're, we're talking about a sacrificial set apart because 17 hours a week, and I know that some worship services feel like weird, <laughs> no. but the, the, the it, it helps us to frame the discussion because we are talking about setting aside part of our resources, the first part of our resources on purpose, where we're saying, what is, the, what is the best way that I can use the talents I have for God? What are the best way that I can use my time for God? What is the best way that I can set aside resources for God? Well, the people at Philippi just seem to do that naturally. They just seem to be generous people. Um, a little bit about the, the, the city. Um, any have you any of you been to Philippi? Usually, you go there if you're on a trip to Greece, because if you think about the geography of that part of the world, Italy is the boot, and it's right by the European continent. So, Atlantic Ocean is not that far west of. Uh, <laughs> Not that far west of uh, of Rome itself, 
they don't call it the Atlantic Ocean there. It's called another sea or the Ionian, I believe. <clears throat> then there's the boot, which is Italy. And then there's what the Adriatic. Yep, that's what and, I was thinking. And then you've got the Greece, the peninsula, uh, and the far south in Greece is the Peloponnesian uh, peninsula where Sparta is. If you uh, remember the Spartans in the movie 300, that's the southern part of Greece, what we call Greece now. Corinth, the city of Corinth is at the very north part of the Peloponnesian where it meets the Grecian mainland. And then north of Corinth and a little bit east is Athens. And then way north from there is the Macedonian uh, area, the, 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 um, the, what would be the farthest northernmost province, so to speak, in Greece. And that's where Berea is, uh, Thessaloniki is there, and then a little further to the east is Philippot. Now, the Romans built great roads. They, they wanted to be able to get military and goods. It's ironic that they built their roads for the same reason that Eisenhower started the interstate highway system to, to move military. When the interstate system was first, first proposed in the United States, it was to move military goods. Uh -huh. I don't know if you notice it, but by law, every fifth mile on an interstate highway has to be one mile of straight road so they can land an airplane. I didn't know that. Yeah. So the, it was built. I have a, a treasure trove of useless facts in my head. And so the, the Romans built these roads so that they could move people, move goods, move soldiers, collect taxes. You remember that Roman citizens didn't have to pay taxes. They they levied taxes on all of their conquests mm -hmm. to support Rome. So what did you find, Bill? Yeah, where it is on the map. Uh, she was looking at the Okay. Well, so back to the geography lesson. If you go east of Athens, you are in the uh, Aegean Sea. And the Aegean is what separates Europe from Asia. Uh, the Aegean is that, that body of water that, that cuts into Greece and then it, uh, uh, the, the eastern side of the, Adria, of the uh, Aegean Sea is Turkey or Asia Minor. And so uh, Ephesus is directly across the Aegean from Athens. So they are about the same latitude. But if you go very northern tip of the Aegean Sea, that's where Philippi is. And Philippi is actually about 10 miles inland from the port city of Neapolis. And, you know, when Paul says, I went to Macedonia or I went to Corinth or I went to Ephesus, he's in boats in the Aegean Sea. It was uh, sea travel was so much easier than land travel, even with the Roman roads. Now, Philippi was on the major Roman road that was built to connect Rome with its eastern provinces. So, obviously, the Ignatian Way, or Via Ignatia, it came out of Rome and had to turn north to uh, go around uh, the water and then 
back down to uh, into Macedonia and then straight across the northern part of Greece. Then another road connected the Ignatian Way with uh, uh, the southern um, uh, cities in Greece. But the Romans didn't care all that much about Corinth. And they they pretty much cared about Athens just enough to plunder culture and resources and the architecture. And, and so the Greek gods and the Roman gods kind of laid side by side. But the Roman commerce went north of all of that to the Via Ignatia, which if you remember our time in Revelation, all of those churches of the Revelation were also connected by the Via Ignatia. So the, the Ignatian Way did uh, Laodicea and Ephesus and, and and made that loop. And then it went back across. Actually, if you were to uh, track the Via Ignatia today, it would go all the way to what we call Istanbul, Constantinople in Turkey. And so the Romans had built incredibly good roads. And that that comes into play a little bit because the the date and origin of Philippians is a little bit in dispute. There are some scholars, um, Bible thinkers, who believe that Paul was at one time imprisoned in Ephesus. Now, Acts doesn't tell us that he was imprisoned in Ephesus, and the argument of silence against him being in Ephesus is strong. But a lot of the descriptors he uses in Philippians, the letter to the church, uh, they suggest a, a, a pretty uh, fluid travel between wherever Paul was and wherever the Philippians were. So from Rome to Philippi, even on the good Roman roads, would take about a month. Yeah. Okay, so even on the good Roman roads, overland travel, uh, it's just distance. From Ephesus by sea, it, it takes hardly any time at all. And so those writers suggest that he was in Ephesus. Uh, I don't buy that. Um, I I choose the, uh, um, I, I'm very conservative. And, and if there is no compelling reason for it to be challenged, I don't challenge it. The traditional place that Paul wrote the letter to the Philippians was in Rome. And I believe it. But I do not think that it was in the time when he was um, on death row. I believe Acts tells us that Paul was imprisoned three times. I think there was a fourth time. I think that his first imprisonment was in Philippi, and that would have been about 49 A.D., we have that recorded in Acts chapter 16. We have the miracle of the Philippian jailer. We have the miracle of the uh, the young girl who was healed and it made the merchants mad because they made their money off of her uh, witchcraft. And so the fact that he cast a demon out of her and ruined their trade, it sounds a lot like what happened in uh, uh, Ephesus with uh, the silversmiths where where Paul uh, uh, 
begin to preach against the icons that they had to all of their gods, and it ruined the silver trade, and they chased him out of town. But in Philippi, uh, Acts 16 tells us where the church started, and the church was started by a riverside, which is outside of town. It's still there. And uh, Philippi was a pretty well-developed little town. It has a coliseum. Um, Nancy, my memorization of Philippians chapter 2 was a little self-serving. Um, I was asked to do the Bible study in Philippi on a trip that we took wow. with seminary students to Greece. And I chose to stand on the coliseum floor at Philippi and quote, what Paul wrote to him wow. and one of the most moving experiences I've ever had. And uh, the Coliseum probably held 15,000 people. It was not a small arena. Um, you, you can walk through the streets where, where Paul walked and, uh, and see the little uh, place that they think was the jail. And you remember the doors came open and everybody's singing. And that, that was the, the, the time that Paul was there. And so he was in prison there in about 49 AD. That was 30 verses, by the way, that he had memorized. <laughs> well, I actually only did the first 11. Oh, okay. Uh, because that that's after verse 11, he changes gears. Oh. But anyway, he, it, it, you remember that Paul had three missionary journeys that we know about. Most people think there was a fourth one, and that comes into play with the dating of when Philippians was written. 49, he went in jail in Philippi. Then he finished his second missionary journey. He finished his third missionary journey, and he got back to Jerusalem somewhere around, I'm just going to say 57 A.D., he delivered the offering that was collected for the struggling church there. He, uh, uh, he, he began to preach. He tried to honor the Jewish uh, customs there. He went to the synagogue. He purified himself in the Jewish uh, tradition. But uh, they, uh, they had heard about his reputation, and they anticipated that he was going to cause a lot of chaos. So the Jewish people um, uh, had him arrested in Jerusalem. So that started an incarceration that lasted at least four years, maybe five. He was in Jerusalem for just a minute. Then they were uh, the Roman governor. And if you remember, those of you who have been to Israel, that the Roman governor had a, a uh, compound at Caesarea Maritime or Caesarea Maritima on the Mediterranean Sea. So about, uh, oh, we would say 50, 60 miles from Jerusalem is uh, down on the coast is Caesarea. That's where the Roman governor would be during the winter. He didn't care to be in the mountains in Jerusalem during the winter where it's cold. He wanted to be on the Mediterranean coast at sea level where it's not as cold. 
And so Paul was taken to Caesarea because the governor there, Felix, was kind of intrigued with this clown show that had been going on in Jerusalem. So Paul was incarcerated at Caesarea. Uh, Felix didn't really want to do anything with him because he loved having conversations. He just enjoyed the, the little talks. He, he'd have Paul brought to him periodically, and they'd just sit and talk philosophy and religion. And, and uh, there's a lot of evidence that at least Felix is some part, some members of his family became Christians. So Felix says, okay, you're going to keep you around for a while. Well, then Felix got deposed. And uh, a new governor came in whose name was Festus. Festus said, I don't want to fool this guy at all. Let's send him back to Jerusalem to be tried. Paul knew that Jerusalem was not where he wanted to be tried. Anybody know what happened next? He appealed to Caesar. The second time that he threw down the Roman citizenship trump card, the first time was to prevent a flogging. Uh, that might have been in Philippi, right? Or was that in... Anyway. I don't know. Uh, so he said, I appeal to Caesar. I don't want my case to be heard by the, the Jewish authorities. I, I want to go directly to Caesar. Now, Caesar was not a name. It was a title. And it was really ironic because at that time, Caesar was Nero. Nero was the seventh of the Caesars, and uh, he was crazy. Now, it's a lot of evidence that he wasn't crazy yet. Nero built a lot of stuff. He, he was uh, an architect of culture. Uh, some people say he got syphilis, and that caused him to just get crazier and crazier. And so most of what we know uh, of Nero's debauchery and his cruelty is from the latter part of his reign. He committed suicide in 68 AD, and most people think that Paul was executed right before he committed suicide, that, that he knew that he was losing power, he was losing his grip, and he wanted to have these uh, significant Christians. Peter and Paul were both uh, executed in that uh, time frame. So 57, Paul is arrested in Jerusalem. He spends at least two years in Caesarea. He appeals to Caesar. On the way to Rome is the shipwreck at Malta and all of that. He finally gets to Rome somewhere around 60 A.D., now, most scholars nowadays think that because of the, the ending in the book of Acts, which tells us that Paul was in, he was in house arrest, but it was a relatively, uh, uh, Acts ends a little bit happy, right? Paul ministered day by day. He was free to have his friends over and live in a house and so forth. Well, that's a far cry from where he would have been when he wrote 2 Timothy. Because 2 Timothy talks about, I'm being poured out as a drink offering. I've fought the good fight. It, 2 Timothy was the last thing that he wrote. And 2 Timothy, he probably wrote 
after 64, but before 67. And so we, I believe that he was incarcerated between when he was arrested in Jerusalem, two years in Caesarea, two more years in Rome, but somewhere around 62, he was released. Nero wasn't just real nutcase yet. And that maybe Paul did a fourth missionary journey to Spain. He said he wanted to go to Spain. Uh, he said he felt called to go to Spain. And so we wonder if he was released in Rome, was able to do that, was rearrested somewhere around 64, and then somewhere between 64. Anybody remember what else happened in 64? History, people. The great fire of Rome. So when Nero set fire to the slums so that he could have more uh, space to build his place, he blamed that fire on the Christians, began to ramp up the persecution, and, and a lot of scholars believe that was the, the beginning of the end for Paul, and that he was likely rearrested, and this time he was placed in the jail that if you go to Rome, you'll see the, the Mamertine prison, which is really close to where Nero's palace was, and that that was death row. That was the not house arrest. Now, the Romans didn't provide food for their prisoners. So if you didn't have uh, support to help you, you didn't eat. They just mm -hmm. let you starve to death. And so part of Philippians, we're begging full circle. You thought I was just rambling, right? <laughs> so part of Philippians is that he's thanking them in a letter that he probably wrote around 61. He's thanking them for their contributions, yes, to the offering that he collected for Jerusalem, but also for his own sustenance. That when he is in house arrest, he can't work. And so he's thanking them for providing sustenance for him. And, and we have nothing that makes us believe that they stopped doing that. And so Philippians is a letter about generosity. It's a letter about giving. The church at Philippi, uh, we know that it started with a wealthy businesswoman and a slave girl and a converted jailer. <laughs> Those are the three people we know uh, helped to start the church. But if that was in 49, by the time Paul wrote this letter in 61, there was a, at least a sense of development. I gave you a clue to that on Sunday, because in the greeting to the letter, he said, from Paul and Timothy to the saints at Philippi, along with the overseers and uh, deacons. deacons is the word he used in your translation. Okay, so he so so the church had some level of organization by that point, and uh, I won't go back over the um, the first chapter because I preached on it uh, Sunday and pretty much covered it, but. That's the background, okay? He, he is, it is the first church in Europe. It's the, 
uh, the, the first church that, well, I guess you'd say the first church in Asia because it straddles the, the border between Asia and Europe. And so we, we, we know that, that 49 is really early. Uh, Paul had responded by, uh, to a vision that somebody, he, he had a vision of a man that said, come to Macedon. And um, do you remember that Philip of Macedon planted the city of Philippi or conquered it? It had another name, but he conquered the city of Philippi and named it after himself. So it wasn't named after a Roman. It was named after a Macedonian. And do you remember we've said before who Philip was? He was the father of Alexander the Great. So Philip of Macedon conquered most of Greece and then uh, was the father of Alexander the Great, who went ahead to conquer pretty much the rest of the world. All right. I think we need to move on. Any questions or comments? I'm going to dive into the text, but uh, I appreciate you uh, letting me uh, do a little bit of uh, background because to me it, it 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 makes it much more understandable that that Paul was writing to a city that valued Roman citizenship. You remember it on Sunday. I don't remember if I said it in both services because I don't really use notes, but uh, the battle that took place between Mark Antony, Octavian, against Brutus and Cassius, who had murdered Julius Caesar, that battle took place in Philippi. And so that that battle had had coalesced their their armies had had found their way there and so Antony and Octavian defeated Brutus and Cassius at Philippi and the way that the Romans populated their their conquered areas is that they would just give soldiers a plot of land and so when they conquered Philippi the Roman garrison or the Roman military people who were there who didn't have families back in Rome, they just got a plot of land and stayed. I joke about it. My brother is the pastor of a church in Prattville, Alabama. And Prattville is like Dunwoody to Montgomery, Alabama, except it's full of ex-military people. Because apparently Maxwell Air Force Base in Montgomery is a good place to retire and so all these guys go to Maxwell for their last posting, retire in Prattville, and he's got a church full of Air Force people that have retired. Well, Philippi was that way, church full of soldiers, town full of soldiers. They understood discipline, and they understood citizenship. So at the very end of chapter 1, after he had introduced himself, he had uh, exhorted them uh, because of their love for each other. He expressed to them that he knew God was doing a work. Um, I've kind of adopted Philippians 1 6 as what I'm my theme verse from now until whenever God lets me retire. I'm confident in this very thing that he who began this work in us will perfect it 
will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. From now until Jesus comes back, God is at work in us. And so Philippians 1.6, he, 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 he sort of summarizes, uh, you guys have to understand that your unity is special. And that's what I tried to say Sunday. Our unity is special. The fact that we get we can solve our problems without bloodshed or without uh, people going, you disagree with me, so I hate you. Uh, we, we have something very, very special at Dunwoody Baptist Church. And so he was extolling them over that in first uh, part of chapter one. And then he switches gears and he says, here's my prayer for you, that your knowledge will increase. Well, he's talking about knowledge of scripture, knowledge of the ways of Jesus, knowledge of the gospel, knowledge of how the law has given way to grace. I, I pray that your knowledge will abound and that that knowledge will allow you discernment so that you can take the, the knowledge of the ways of Jesus and apply that to your everyday life. And that the, the byproduct of that or the, or the, the, the input that God gives, uh, he says, uh, Paul called it fruits of righteousness in Philippians chapter 1, uh, verse... Verse 11, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness. Well, I know a couple of places where that, that word is used. It's, it's in uh, Hebrews 10, all discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet those who are trained up in it yield the peaceful fruit of righteousness. In Galatians, it's called the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, so forth. That's So the, So Paul is saying, I'm praying that you guys will learn Scripture so that you can make good decisions as you work away in, 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 in everyday life. And that spiritually, you're going to be filled with the things of God that radiate Christ to the world. So no Scripture give you decision-making abilities in your work, your home, your school, your community, and that the people who see you will see that you are filled with the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. You you are, are radiating the things that he's pouring into you. That's the input that I talked about Sunday, and then the output is that they can see that you have every good work. Like he said in Ephesians 2.10, we are his workmanship created in Christ to do good works. So you get this idea that Paul is sort of setting them up. He's buttering them up a little bit, talking about how good they are. And is he going to get to some hard subjects? Well, yeah, he gets to some hard subjects at the end of chapter one. He says, I'm in jail. Remember, I'm not I'm not free to come see you guys. I would. I'd love to come back. But know this, I hear about you. I know I'm, I'm watching. There's accountability. He says, whether I'm absent or present, I'm going to know what you're doing. And he says, but there's opposition. We, we have I'm in jail. You're surrounded with false teachers. You've even got people who are preaching Jesus for monetary gain. You know, you're, you, we got them today, the, the, the for-profit preachers. 
um, which if you spell it P-R-O-P-H-E-T, I would say they are nonprofit. <laughs> we'll just leave that. <laughs> so he's saying there's adversity, whether it's imprisonment or opposition or or somebody's got more or better or they're prettier. He says there's there's people preaching and some of them are better than I am. But here's the deal. The message is always greater than a messenger. In my Bible, I wrote it like a math equation. Message greater than messenger. Because he says God's going to do his work. And I've said this for years that, you know, I, I moved here from Louisiana, which is like the epicenter of charlatan preachers. We got Swaggered and we got Jesse Duplantis and we got the governor and and, the, and not a single person who gave their life to Jesus watching them on television is any less saved than I am. Because the message is always greater than the message. Mm. I don't Good point. I don't claim to be a great preacher, but everybody who gets saved is saved regardless of whether I'm any good or not. Every child that we baptize who, who the little girl Sunday who who didn't have a clue what I talked about on Sunday. <laughs> she was saved because of the message, not because of the messenger. And, and that's what Paul said. So he concludes chapter one by saying, walk worthy. And even if you're not in the habit of writing in your Bibles, I wish you would write here. Because he says, walk worthy doesn't really communicate what he's saying. He's saying, live as a good citizen. That's, that's how that translates. The word conduct um, that's in uh, some of your Bibles in verse 27, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. What, what are your translations? How do they, how do they say verse 27? Okay, what verse is it? Verse 27. In your, your conduct, walk worthy. He's saying live like a good citizen. Now let's see if you've been listening for the last 45 minutes. Not well. You want me to repeat all that? Why would he say that in Philippi? Who lived there? soldiers. And what did they think about citizenship? Thought it was a good idea. Don't pay taxes. Favored status. I was given my land. <laughs> so he said, be patriotic. Think about how that soldier, though he's thousand miles away from Rome, he's devoted to Rome. He would give his life for Rome. He, 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 it's like a Marine here. My dad was a Marine and he would, he told me constantly, you once a Marine, you're always a Marine. Semper Fi till you die. And these Roman soldiers, their loyalty to Rome. So he said to the believers who were at Philippi, you have a loyalty to Christ like they have to that, to Rome. You have a loyalty to your faith that they have to the emperor and the crown and the army and the, well, it's no longer a republic, the empire. You 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 should follow their example 
in 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 this kind of fidelity towards your relationship in Christ. It's a beautiful comment. It really is. And so he he ends chapter one by saying, uh, "I know what you're doing, but but and and I will hear that you're standing firm in one spirit with one mind." striving together for the faith of the gospel. So there the theme of Philippians comes up again, unity. Now we're not going to know until chapter four that he has a specific circumstance in mind. There's two women in this church that are causing trouble. No offense, but always a woman. Yodia and Syntyche, they were, they were just busybodies. And he was... He was not wanting their squabble to poison the well that was the fellowship in Philippi. And so the whole book has about four purposes. One, thanking them for their generosity. Two, encouraging them to unity. Three, uh, discouraging them from uh, latching on to any false teaching. And and four, to let their focus be outward because of the unity and joy they have inward. Let your joy overflow. Rejoice again, I say rejoice. Be anxious for nothing instead. And prayer, uh, and thanksgiving, and supplication, let your request. Those are all in Philippians. For me to uh, live as gain to die as to lose Christ to die as gain. So there's this this joy theme that keeps blowing up. So now in the last 10 minutes we'll look at chapter two. Any questions, thoughts, pushback? Chapter one and sort of the introduction. I've been ignoring all of you online. Paul, you doing all right? Ron, it's good. Yes. Hello, Andrew. Andrew. All right. Good to uh, have you. Fine. All right. Nelson, you're good? Yeah, well, I just want to say that, you know, that as long as Christ is preached, you know, that he, isn't that uh, in there? That's what he says. He says, <laughs> I don't I don't care if those late night preachers are. You're are talking swagger and all these guys. Yeah, just don't. Here's the I'll sell you a prayer cloth that I'm going to take to the tower. He didn't care as long as Christ is preached. Um, he said, it's all good. It's all good. The message is stronger than the messenger. Yeah. So, yeah, go ahead. All right, so let's peel back chapter two. What is the very first word of chapter two in your Bible? Yes. And the second word is? Therefore. Yeah. All right. So, Here's a little fun secret. If your Bible has the word if, and it's a New American Standard Bible, it is before 1995. The translators of the New American Standard flipped those two words in the 95 translation because the therefore is pretty important. What is it there for? What is it there for? We just got through talking about verses 27 through 30. That's what it's there for. Therefore, if you're going to walk worthy, therefore, if your conduct 
is going to be like a citizen of the gospel. Therefore, if you're striving together, therefore, if you're in unity, therefore, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's, what does the word encouragement mean? We don't have any submariners in here, do we? Any uh, Navy guys that were on a sub? How about hot air balloonists? What does a hot air balloon and a submarine have in common? Ballast. A submarine has to get rid of ballast in order to rise to the surface. What's the ballast? The water that they take in to dive. Hot air balloon, it has to get rid of ballast in order to rise higher. The word encouragement says you help someone else get rid of ballast. That's what the word means. So that if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the spirit, if there's any tenderness or compassion, affection or compassion, make my joy complete. And then he lists four things. What are they? Having the same love, same mind, same love, same spirit, same purpose. Now, he, he says it pretty, but he's saying this is the definition of what it is to walk as a citizen of the gospel. If there's anything you found that helps you get rid of ballast in Christ, if there's any sense that you've received love, if there's any fellowship that you've discovered in this church, if there's any affection, any compassion that you have for each other, he says, and here's the theme again, joy. Make my joy complete. The word complete and the word perfect are the same in Greek. I'm confident it's the very thing that he who began a good work will perfect it. Complete it till the day of Christ Jesus. Make my joy perfect by being same mind, same love, same purpose, same unity. He says these are the things that define, you know, there are, are, are certain criteria to become a citizen of the United States. You have to have a proficiency of English. You have to understand the civic structure uh, of America. Uh, you've got to profess your allegiance, renounce your own uh, uh, country of origin. The, the, there, are, there are things that are, are required for you to officially raise your right hand and become a citizen of the United States. Well, Paul is saying here are the things that need to be observable if you're a citizen of the gospel. Your love your intentionality, your purpose, your fellowship. So he says, make my joy complete. I, I'm in jail. But when I hear about you guys, I, I, I just do a little warm, fuzzy, happy dance when I hear that these are the things that characterize you, not the squabbling of those two women. And so he says, make my joy complete. And then he kind of gets on a roll. Don't do anything from selfishness or empty conceit, and maybe one of the most important verses in the Bible. But let each one of you regard others as more important than yourself. Great verse. The sermon on Sunday is called the gift of humility. Mm. That if 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 God is being generous to us, 
He gives us the gift of humility. How do we know we need it? Can anybody quote Ephesians 2.8? For by grace are you saved through faith? You remember the rest of it? Not of yourself. That's not of yourselves. You can't even come up with your own faith. Why? Lest anyone would boast. We are hardwired for pride. And started in the Garden of Eden and it has Samson and David and Paul and Saul and Solomon and anybody that you can name in the Bible. I just finished up the Job in my morning devotion. And the guy is so upright. He does it. He, he it's not even fair. Oh, he he's 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 the victim of a little side bet between God and Satan. But if he sins, it's his pride. It's his arrogance. I am so faithful. I have so much integrity. And when God uh, sort of dressed him down at the end of the book, he says, you think you're all that? It's pride. And so in Philippians, he says, don't do anything for selfishness or empty conceit. But let each one of you regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. And then the hinge verse in the first 11 chapters, verse 5, have this mind. I think the word attitude is too weak. Have this mind in you that was Christ Jesus. The, the mind was incredibly important to the Greeks. The mind, the intellect, the, the heart, the, the soul, the, the, the everything that you are. Have this affection in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Then Paul does what preachers do. He says, I don't have the words to say this. I can't come up with the words, but I know a song. And I'm going to insert it right here. Hardly anybody thinks these are Paul's words. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. And now he gets on a roll. Who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard that, that Godness a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking on the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of man and being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself. He humbled himself by becoming obedient, obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So what did God do? He exalted him. How did Jesus describe this in Matthew? Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. Everyone who humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus poured himself out. He was found in the appearance of a man. And so for this reason, have I talked about um, the Greek uh, form called a henna clause? In the Bible, we see so that or for this reason. We, we the, the, the Greek grammar there, the construction is a, it is a, a, a construction that says you got to get this before you can get this. For this reason, 
for this reason, as, as a result, he emptied himself. He took on the form of a bondservant. He was made in the likeness of man. And being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient, obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. For this reason, humility, obedience, for this reason, God exalted him. He gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow, those in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Oh. <laughs> words in the Bible. I mean, a... well, you, you can picture, so Passion, the, the annual college worship and teaching event that Louis Giglio's ministry has done, it just concluded in the Mercedes-Benz Dome. Mm -hmm. Sixty thousand college students. Oh. And if you look up Passion Twenty Twenty Four images, you'll see an image of sixty thousand college students. My niece was there. They exchanged for. So at one point, they sang uh, an older praise song called Agnus Dei. Hallelujah, hallelujah, the Lord God Almighty reigns, the Lord God Almighty reigns. So the band on stage concluded their worship set, and the speaker was on the way out. But the kids wouldn't stop singing. No band, no drummer, no speakers, no subwoofers. 60,000 college kids who won't stop singing. That's what I picture right here. But I, when I read that for this reason, God also highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above all names. I mean, doesn't get any better than that. That we can... When we feel like the world is winning, <laughs> when we feel like maybe our church isn't all that anymore, when we feel like we're discouraged or, or why can't these people just get along, I go right to Philippians 2. If therefore there's any encouragement in Christ, any fellowship in the Spirit, any unity, any affection, any compassion, make my joy complete. By being of one mind, one spirit, one love, one purpose. Are you hearing the choir? They're singing your sermon. They're oh. singing these words right here at the name of Jesus. Well, good. Oh, yeah. They're going to do it again Sunday. They are. Well, Alan, you know, it's just hearing this and, you know, you talking about the um, event this weekend with college kids. It does bring me joy because you know every time you turn the tv on you're seeing the people in new york you know marching against you know israel and you know praising the palestinians and all all of that and you just think there's no hope you know i compare talk about nothing in the media we'll about talk 60, about the sixty thousand 
college kids praise in Jesus Christ because they don't want us to know there is hope. But they showed us New Year's Eve in Times Square uh -huh. where there's a quarter of a million people that were absolutely mesmerized by a ball drop. Right. What gets me? I was I was on the deck, and a guy named Carl Carlson he got his name. He's got Bob. Yeah. He said he had the picture of him singing up on the Twitter. Yeah. And he goes, "The media doesn't do anything. This is what life's about." Yeah. At one time, I think they even opened the roof at the Mercedes. They did. They did. They did. Let the noise out. That you can hear it from ten you blocks, hear it blocks away. Yeah, you're. It's, uh, it's freezing, and they open it up and let the worship yeah. saturate downtown Atlanta. Think of homeless people who needed hope. Think of drug deals going down, and God just opened that roof and let them sing over. Well, that's what we get a chance to do with Philippians too. I would encourage you all to memorize it, especially the last six or seven verses. Especially the the Christ, and they call that the Christ hymn. Uh, that that portion of scripture uh, that Paul inserted into his letter, he probably inserted a hymn that they were familiar with, and so scholars call it the Christ hymn that is inserted in there. And it's one of that's why I said I I memorized it from the New American Standard because it just it flows better. All right. So that's where we will end on Sunday. And uh, going to be a lot of fun on Sunday. We'll talk about uh, humility as a gift that God puts in us so that we can pour out the fruit of the Spirit. Um, I also want to say one other thing that's so absolutely beautiful is when I came to church Sunday, I came out a little bit later when there was barely a seat to be had. I had to come up to the front of the church a little bit. And the front of the church, you know, I mean, it was the most beautiful thing We were, uh, we had a good good crowd on Sunday, both services. Both services. All right. We'll see you guys on Sunday. And, um, if you can guess real hard, you can guess the scripture word.